0: Four Mudder GP races down now, three different winners so far, with Jack Miller taking the Spanish Mudder GP victory at Jerez. And after Yamaha's domination of the first three races, well, they dominated the majority of Jerez with Quattararo, but he ran into a brick wall of arm pump problems and plummeted to a cruel 13th position, and therefore he loses the World Championship lead. Arm pump is numbness in the forearm after. The strong loads needed to ride a MotoGP bike flat out. They're too much for the muscles and the tendons to bear and it left Quattararo with no feeling at all for the levers, for the bike, to get the thing turned and that's why he fell down the order. Toby Moody, Valentin Harunchi, Simon Patterson here to discuss Hareth 2021. What's the first thing that springs into your mind, Simon, from this race? I have been quite critical of Jack Miller for the last few weeks, and he shut me the hell up. Short and sweet. Fair play. You take it on the chin. Valentin, you're next. What hits you first off after Hareth?
1: Uh, disappointment. Not to take anything away from Jack, but I just I, I hate seeing people lose a race the way Fabio did. just felt very narratively unsatisfying to me. For me, it's Banyaya leading the World Championship. Uh, where did that happen? How did
0: that happen? It's, it's been almost stealthy. We've been concentrating on the winners, but it's all about the championship come the end of the year. So it's great that the three of us have got different viewpoints. Uh, Ducati, they arrived to Jerez odds on for a podium, and yet they came away with a one, two, their first victory at Jerez since Loris Caparossi in 2006. Ironically, that was another disastrous race, <coughs> excuse me, for Yamaha, when Valentino Rossi got knocked off at the first corner, so does this now mean that Ducati have cracked something with this bike, or do we wait? Do we need to wait and see where they're at on a can I say this level playing field? Val,
1: uh, you know, a one-two at Jerez is obviously a headline result that you can shout about from the rooftops, but does it does it mean anything on the on the grander scheme of things for Ducati? I mean, it means something and it's a great haul of points, but I don't think it means a, a massive step change. I mean, even last year, Ducati wasn't that bad at Harris. He was decent. Bagnaia should have had his career first podium until his, his bike went kaput. So I don't think this weekend represented A huge change in performance again it was not going to be a one two until fabio's body gave out on him so it's obviously a great result and even better hollow points but i'm not i'm certainly not getting carried away with what it means i disagree
2: um unsurprisingly uh i i think that we saw something a bit special from jack um Pecco has had a bit of an understanding since he jumped on the Ducati about how to ride that thing and how to get the best out of it. I don't know if it's because he's come with no previous MotoGP experience or whatever, but we've never once heard him complain about the old Andrea Dovizioso, Casey Stoner mid-corner turning problem. And what Jack seemed to do at the weekend was go and look at everything that Pecco had done, analyse Pecco's riding style, copy it, and copy it better than Pecco was able to. And to me, if Ducati have actually managed to find a way around what has been the Achilles heel of that bike for, what, 15 years? If they found a way around that by just getting the riders to ride differently, and if the riders are able to adapt themselves here and there at different circuits so that they can still ride like Ducati riders in Qatar, but then ride like a, almost like a Yamaha rider in Hareth, then that fixes all the consistency problems that they've had that means they can fight for a championship
1: Um, yeah i'm gonna be needlessly critical of jack after a win and i (laughs) you know maybe not entirely warranted obviously caveating by it by saying that he's had a really 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 good weekend and good value for a win that's been long time coming on the ducati but the thing is i don't think he was much better than peco and i don't think we can yet use this as conclusive evidence that he's back to being the ducati team leader that he expected i mean let's let's take it step by step qualifying the the reason jack was on the front row and peco wasn't was because jack followed Pecco on his fastest lap so that certainly helped then the start played a massive part jack on the front row you know He's slightly better, I think, at starting than Pecco it seems, and he managed to get into the lead and set the pace he wanted to set, whereas Pecco got stuck behind first to Yamaha and then Alessio Pargaro, wasted a bunch of laps there, and in the end, he was still, with one lap to go, he was a second off. His teammate. So, if if it was a a more conventional race, a more similar race for the two of them, I can still sort of see a scenario where Pekko finishes narrowly ahead. Not to take anything away from Jack, he made the most out of his opportunities, but I'm not sure that cements him as a team leader and somebody who's clearly cracked something on the Ducati. Yeah, you mentioned the Ducati start there. If you look at Miller, I mean,
0: the front wheel was barely an inch off the ground from the start all the way to the first corner. Other Bagnaia actually had a bit of a too too much of a wheelie and he had to check pace. But the 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 analysis, if you look at it of Miller's start, is stellar. It's out of this world. Miller, well. He's had a ninth so far this year, a ninth, and then a non-score in Portugal. He comes out with a victory. I've been critical of him as well, as Simon has said. Um, there's a lot of pressure when you're a works rider. There's even more pressure when you're a works Ducati rider, and I think there's only more pressure above that, which is if you're a lead H, uh, lead rider for HRC. Um, he's got himself off social media. He's just had a bit of a hard reset And it all came together. Um, As Simon says, riding styles, the weather, the stars align. Quattararo didn't get to the race on all four physical cylinders. So we don't necessarily know that he's going to start winning race in, race out. But as Banyaya said after the race... The next race is a good place for Ducati, which is Le Mans. So step by step, let's get let's go through. But I take my hat off to Miller. I mean, the emotion that we saw him have in Park Ferme, the emotion of him wants some still pictures? Crying. He could barely keep his voice together when doing the post-race interview. I like that emotion in sport. I, I don't care if I've given them a bit of a hard time of late or not. I love it. I love the emotion of sport, and I take my hat off to it. It's a great celebration of sport. I think it was wonderful yesterday, wonderful. But what are those Ducati guys feeling today? Goodness me, they could walk on water.
2: I'd imagine uh, knowing Jack Miller, he's feeling a very sore head and a bit of an upset stomach today. <laughs> 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 someone someone asked him at the I press wa- conference. I walked into that, didn't I? <laughs> someone asked him at the press conference yesterday about... Uh, as the other two had, they ever partied with Jack, and Pecco says his one memory from uh, from the twenty nineteen Phillip Island after party was Jack getting very angry with him because Pecco doesn't like tequila. And Jack really wanted Pecco to drink the tequila. <laughs> I, I love I love that we have you know for for all the emotion that Jack brings. I love that he's also got that proper Aussie lunacy about him as well too. He is. He is a character that enriches MotoGP just by
0: being in it. When, when Bayliss won Valencia 2006, obviously a lot of focus was on Nikki Hayden winning the championship. We went into the press conference room. You know that at Valencia. And there's all the hustle and bustle. And then the riders finish. And it's like they've got the towel over one shoulder. They've got the celebration T-shirt on. And there's all sweat and they smell of champagne and oil and muck and petrol. I met Bailey's coming out of the door, and he, I said, oh, well done, mate, fantastic. He says, where's the bar? I want a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, don't want to be stereotypical, but. <laughs> yes. So, Banyaya has had, so far this year, a third, a sixth, a second, and a second that's World Championship stuff there. He might not have had a Grand Prix victory in MotoGP, but might Ducati have fallen into getting the right rider by accident, such as they did with Casey Stoner at the end of 06 going into 07? They wanted Gibbonow, he was injured. They wanted Melandry, they couldn't get him. So they ended up with Stoner and, oh, bingo, bango, they end up with a World Championship. Might this have happened?
1: I mean, you know, the sample size just... Just a bit too small yet, to, certainly for, for stoner comparisons. But at the same time, uh, clearly, Petko's probably been, aside from Fabio, I'd still say probably been the standout rider uh, on the grid this year so far. And honestly, probably what I would say is that Ducati deserves a lot of credit, actually, for where he is right now. Yes, it was a consequence of Dovisioso leaving, but let's not also forget that it was Ducati that was super keen on Bagnaia when he was just coming out of Moto3, uh, I think he uh, was it when he was coming out of Moto3, but basically it was Ducati that signed him a year in advance for an early MotoGP promotion, they've always had a ton of faith in him clearly, and that first MotoGP season, I think there were some question marks over whether that faith was was maybe misplaced, and now we pretty much know that it was not, he is, he is legit, he is a great MotoGP asset to have, so well done bologna factory
2: no no much to add to that i think that completely on the money
1: wow
0: <laughs> it happens occasionally even a stop <laughs> clock has raced twice a day
1: <laughs> fair
0: enough so the Ducatis were first and second over the line fabio quattararo he was leading 11 laps to go all of a sudden he started to lose 0. 0.6 0. 0.7 of a second gone in one lap and he tumbled down the order he said after the race we were in a great position to win i could have even gone a little bit faster and the strong point of riding on a used tire i didn't get to use that because i didn't have any power left in my arm it is the cruelest of things that happens to a motorcycle racer you can fix bikes you can throw money at bikes you can just churn them out in the factory but mending humans is a bit harder um, is he going to go and get a, a, a an arm pump operation? Is he going to be okay for Le Mans? What's the latest? He doesn't know
2: yet. Um, he, the poor kid, last night was just devastated, um, and he he just he said that a million people had messaged him suggestions on what to do next, and he just was trying to ignore the world and get over it, and then they would think about it today. Um, yeah, I I don't really know what the next step is. The worry is he's already had an operation on that arm uh, to open the lining. The next step will be to check and see whether or not that can be done again if the lining is closed. But the problem is if the lining is still open and he's still getting the problem, the operation that he needs is a big surgery because it it cuts the lining out completely and it's what ruined Cal Crutchlow's entire season last year. It's not really something you want to be doing mid-season. There is an argument that... It's something that you can fix by training and that maybe Quattararo needs to go away and look at his training program. Uh, you know, someone asked Bagnaya yesterday, had he ever suffered with it? And he says, no, no rider in the VR46 Academy has ever suffered with arm pump. And they ride motorbikes every single day, which which Quattararo doesn't do, not to the same extent. I know a little bit about his training and he's not a huge motocrosser or a flat tracker or anything like that. So, yeah, I think he's he's going to have to consider his options. It'll be a few days before we know whether or not surgery is the line that he's going to take. Um, and then, you know, it's going to be a case of Ryden LeMond compromised, which he did in 2019 when he first did the operation. And then just seeing what happens
1: afterwards. I mean, the, the the one silver lining I'm gonna maybe mention here is that obviously, <clears throat> obviously it it sucks massively how Fabio's race unraveled because he's been on fire all weekend and I, I think he deserved a lot more from from that weekend. Even even if the arm pump had happened, I think it would have been a lot easier to take if he came home in fifth or sixth or something. But the fact it was thirteenth is just really, it's not what he not what he warranted this weekend. It was ex- excellent, but the good news is at least they understand what it is because the, the last Yamaha c- collapses and big problems that I look back on often, you know, if it was something, if he came off the bike and he was like, oh, the tire was just acting weird or, oh, I just lost space or whatever. And then Yamaha was in the, in the woods again, trying to figure out what's going on, why the bike suddenly doesn't work. Thankfully, it's at least something a little different. They, they know what it is. They know what to check. Maybe that's, that's a bit of good news, but Whatever they do now, as, as as Simon points out, whatever decision they take, they have to think long and hard, but also really fast about it, because it may well decide who wins the twenty twenty one World Title.
2: I actually have a theory that what happened on Sunday is a good thing for Um, I, I had a long chat with uh, somebody in his camp on over the weekend, and they were, you know, we were talking about how he has changed his whole mental approach this year how he's trying to be stronger, he's trying to be more positive, but how none of that has ever really been tested yet because everything's been good. So in a lot of ways, this gives him the chance now to check if all those coping mechanisms that he's tried to build all winter works. And if they do, if he comes out of this and he's strong again and he's mentally resilient to it, then... I would be worried if I was everyone else because that means at that point that, that you've actually
0: got someone that looks like a complete champion you're absolutely right but of course racers they haven't got any patience and they want it now that's the problem isn't it they've got zero patience it's all about the now it's all about Sunday and it's all about Le Mans uh but I can see your I can see your discussion um but he thinks he's waited long enough. He waited long enough to get a victory. He then had those victories last year. He's had a great start to this year. My goodness me um uh, he let you know he had, he led the lion's share of was strongest of the lion's share of Jerez twenty twenty one but you' only need to lead on one lap so yeah, difficult difficult um if I was Lynn Jarvis, I'd be pretty worried as well uh because although Franco Morbidelli got third position at Jerez, he's not had a great start to the season either and he's not going to be a championship threat because I personally can't see him as a championship threat because he has too many difficult days uh, in the four Grand Prix that we've had so far and he's deep in the championship and I can't see a satellite bike winning a championship. As much as it's a great romantic story, it just ain't going to happen for any manufacturer. I hope I'm wrong one day and I'll drink the champagne. (laughs) Great result, though, for Morbidelli. Um, how can a 19 bike not work one place and then it miraculously gets on the podium at the next? It's that simple.
2: I think it's just the nature of Yamaha and consistency. We really shouldn't be surprised that Yamahas only worked some places and not others. And I think there's kind of been this we've we've kind of talked ourselves as a whole into this trap of thinking of 21 bike excellent 19 bike not as good whereas i think the reality is that the two bikes are actually equally as good they're just not the same they're just not good in the same ways necessarily there's a little bit of difference in them and and that's why more than anything we're seeing you know the factory bikes being good at one weekend and then morbidelli not being good the other we saw last year that some weekends Morbidelli will be good when the factories struggle, and then there's some weekends where they're all good. And I, yeah, I, I genuinely think that's what it is. I don't think Morbidelli's on a bad bike. I think he's just on a different bike. No,
1: for what it's worth, I think Franco himself is increasingly convinced that he, if he's not on a bad bike, he won't say he's on a bad bike, but he, he, I think he's increasingly convinced that he's fighting with one hand tied behind his back. So, you know, that's going to be interesting how that, how that exactly unfolds because, um, ultimately, apparently there's been a chat between Franco and Lynn Jarvis, who's already been pretty open about Morbidelli not having the spec of bike that he deserves. And so far in, in 2021, it has not looked as good a proposition as it did in 2020, which I guess makes sense in terms of, you know, MotoGP development with the years. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm I agree with with you Toby that I I don't see him winning the championship this year but th- I think the question is do we do we see him doing well enough to where he's satisfied enough with Yamaha to stick around and do they manage to gain a common understanding like will a promotion to a factory spec Petronas Yamaha next year be enough or is the damage already done and yeah, we'll see we'll see that
0: We will see. Well, that leads us into talking about his teammate, Valentino Rossi. Um, He came home in 17th position. He was beaten by his half-brother, Luca Marini. Um, The farewell tour, question mark, question mark. It's all sorts of discussions there. The irony is uh, we need to talk about the VR46 lot team, shall I say, running Ducati's next year, maybe, Valentino wants to ride a Ducati this year. <laughs> Things you thought you'd never say. Uh, I don't
2: think Valentino riding a Ducati this year would make any difference. I don't think the problem's the machinery. Straight up, he's ten years older than the second oldest rider in the grid. This is not a slump in form that started in twenty twenty one. It started halfway through twenty twenty. Um. It. You know. I think he scored something like twelve points in nine races. The
1: guy is... Now 10, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 10 races now, The, the guy yeah. is... Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. the, the the reality of the situation is that when you're a second off... 10 years ago, when you were a second off the pace in GP, you were fifth. In the current generation, when you're 10 seconds off the pace in GP, you're 17th. And that's just... You know, he has the unfortunate... The unfortunate reality of trying to do a farewell tour during the most competitive era ever of Grand Prix racing.
1: Yeah, I mean just sort of I think it's over I think a lot of people think it's over I also did kind of think it's over before the start of the season but maybe a change of scenery would have done some good so far it it really hasn't but I just you know something I'd like to point out is when you watch MotoGP on TV the commentators will often say well you know Valentino's bad form continues but you can never you can never count him out you know like a phoenix rising from the ashes etc but that's time. as Simon said time waits for no man and where what what would the breakthrough even look like would it be enough to make it meaningful at any point he has not won a MotoGP race since 2017 he has not really looked particularly close if we're being entirely honest he has not been anywhere near towards the front of a MotoGP race for the better part of a year now even if he improves Massively between now and Le Mans, like a huge improvement. That's still the outskirts of the top ten. That's still not as good as the other works Yamaha's are doing. It's it's time. I think it's time. There's no shame in that. Sometimes you know all things come to an end, and that's that's fine. The problem is, I
2: I don't think in his head it'll be time when there's no one in the grandstands. He won't retire in yeah. front of an empty grandstand. That's just he's too much of a showman. Mm, I agree. And let's be completely honest, there's a commercial reality here too. Dorna will do everything in their power to make sure that he doesn't retire in front of an empty grandstand. Because if he announces in January next year that it's his last race, then every every race in the season will sell out. But it's,
1: you know, it's not just a, from, from our understanding, it's not just a Rossi decision, right? I mean, there's also a consideration that comes in for Yama. Jan- like the, 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 the current deal has performance clauses for a 2022 extension that he is not going to hit. So... Ultimately, can Yamaha be willing to give him another season instead of making a play for Raul Fernandez or whatever? I'd say no. I know marketing considerations are often more important than sporting considerations in this in this world of ours, of this motorsport world. But
0: yeah, but but the marketing he's not doing he's doing so badly. It's actually it's now hurting the marketing. I don't think it is. I think
2: the fact that he's just Valentino Rossi still sells bikes more than anything else. I think that's the. The reality, I think the fact that marketing considerations play more than sporting considerations in some regards is proven by the fact that he's got the factory bike and Franco doesn't. I think Yamaha will continue to support him as long as he wants to be there. Mm.
0: But Valentino also wants to retire in front of his fans. He knows that he owes them the, the thank you tour. It's difficult. I mean it was soul destroying watching the television coverage yesterday and Hereth. And it's one of my favourite Grand Prix. It's it's a, the right weekend, the colours, the clarity of the picture, the feeling, the strength of that sunshine on your back, or should I say my bald head, is a it's a wonderful thing to feel in that part of the world. And it was a bit sad. I mean, you were there, Simon. There's no Pink Floyd at dawn there's no hubbub of the crowd there's no nutters with the speaker opposite the grandstand opposite the pitch it was
2: yeah it's a strange it's a strange a environment um Hereth in particular because it's got that that sort of amphitheater feeling to it with the the crowds around it um lord only knows what is going to be like cuz it is you know it is the ultimate the ultimate stadium circuit um, and to go to Mijela with no fans would just be the weirdest experience.
0: Very strange. Very strange indeed. Okay, okay. Um, given how well the Ducatis did at Jerez in 2021, what happened to Johan Zarco? Eighth position, eight points, uh, leading Pramak Ducati home. What did he have to say afterwards?
2: I, I think Zarco actually didn't underperform. I think he did what we expected Ducati to do at Hereth. um, He was he was exactly on the money, really. Um, maybe just slightly biased or slightly coloured by the fact that he's had an amazing start to the season that no one really expected. He's raised his own expectations too high. But if you'd asked me at the start of the year to pick roughly where Zarco would be in the first four races, I think fighting for podium in Qatar mid-pack in Areth would be about what I'd have put down. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's anything to worry about for him
0: honda marquez second race back uh he managed to get the bike home in ninth position but he had a huge crash in practice he said i was a bit dazed and confused it was as if he had a bang on the head uh blimey i'm surprised they let him back on the bike so from a medical point of view
2: He said that the doctors told him afterwards that he has as much chance now of breaking his left arm as his right arm. The arm is completely healed. The bone is solid. There's no risk of further damage. Um, But the, the other question is, you know, do MotoGP just not care about concussion protocols? The guy was concussed. You know, when you've got a writer saying, "I was dizzy, I was confused, and I couldn't remember parts of the crash," it's like he's reading from a medical textbook of concussion symptoms. They took him to the hospital. They did a CT scan on his head, which does not detect a concussion, and they declared him fit to ride. You know, it's just we are, yeah. I, it scares me because eventually this is going to happen, and someone's going to get really badly hurt.
1: Jake Dixon did miss the Moto Two race with a with a concussion, I believe. So, I mean, clearly they at least they yeah. know what it is. So maybe,
2: but I'm without knowing for sure, I'd be almost certain that Jake declared himself unfit because it's not the first time he suffered a big concussion in his BSB days. And since then has been very, very weary of it. And I know in the past it has been his decision not to ride when he's been declared fit by the medical team because of a concussion.
1: Yeah, as a as not being a medical professional in any way, shape, or form, it's, it's it's really hard for me to to judge one way or another. but I don't think I would say is that it would be nice if if MotoGP took a more systematized and more formal uh, approach to declaring riders fit unfit, diagnoses, all that kind of thing. Just, just to avoid any sort of situation like that, because obviously we don't ever want anybody to exacerbate anything with a, with a crash that came if they returned too soon. Mm. I've been in a medical centre when w- a rider has come in. I've been to see a friend
0: years ago. He had a big whack at uh, Mategi, Adrian Coates. And uh, I was helping out the team. I was doing a bit of PR for QUB. And I went to see him in the medical centre. And that was the first time that I'd seen somebody with concussion. And he said, uh, yeah, you know, hi, Toby, in that soft. Draw that he had um you know where am I what day is it what am I doing and I was thought he's having a joke <laughs> no it's deadly serious you don't know where you are that's just and as you say Simon in the medical textbook the doctors ask you know where are you and what were you doing today and he just stared out of the window he, he didn't know and it's terrifying to see because the human brain is a very, very clever, complex computer, but you've just pulled the hard drive out. Uh, so, yeah, not funny at all. Um, positively for Honda, uh, Taka Nakagami. by the way, what a move around the outside of Alacia Spagaro at the Cito Pops Corner. Absolutely just what a boy, beautiful. what a boy. I was shouting at the television, I have to say, when I saw that. Uh, and he got his fourth position as just reward. Um, what spec... A Honda bike has Nakagami got compared with the Hondas. I know we don't know, but what do you think we know he's got? Um, the most telling comments about Honda's performances on Sunday
2: came after the race in Paulus who had a proper moan about Honda um, it's almost like Paul has suddenly realized he isn't a KTM rider anymore and that not everything at Honda is nice and unified and organized the way that KTM does things. Uh, he was complaining that basically there's four Honda riders and four different specs of bike and that no one is working together to try and make one Honda that works for everyone everywhere. They're all just doing their own thing. So we know that Nakagami was experimenting with last year's chassis at the weekend and. Um, Trying to see if that was any better or worse. We don't know whether or not he raced it. We don't know whether or not he's on whether or not his new chassis is the same as Paul's. Then you've got Mark saying they've completely reinvented the way they've built a bike that's unlike any bike they've ever had before to try and limit his current physical disability because he's not fully fit. And then there's Alex Marquez who is probably at this point just using whatever's left because he's going to crash it anyway.
0: <laughs> Harsh, but fair, unfortunately. Harsh yeah. but fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to 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 Alex's credit for this particular race, TV didn't show it too well, but he had a he had a some sort of contact with Iker where who was on the outside. However, to Alex's not credit, he should not have been there to have contact with Iker Laquona. The bike was capable of qualifying yeah. higher up than that.
2: And like I told you last night, based on past form, not just in races, there's
0: every possibility he would have found a way to crash on his own anyway. <laughs> yeah, some guys, they yeah. just get the, the mantle of that throughout a season. It used to be a um, lovely bloke. I think he's one of the great guys I worked with in the GP paddock. Carlos Checker, you know, it was uh, Carlos Chucker. Chuck it down the road. That was his name. Carlos you know, Um yeah. The, yeah. Northern, uh, <laughs> the, the Yorkshireman called him Chubby, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, chubby checker. But, um, but he uh, he got away with it, and oh, it was 28, 30, something crashes in a year, and it was just thousands of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But um, it seems to have been that mantle going to Alex Marquez. Yeah, it's the old story, isn't it? Do you really want a Repsol Honda ride? Um, Repsol Honda, they bring you on board, but actually there's still only one Repsol Honda rider. In the past, the V5 worked for everybody. It was just such a an all-enveloping, all-winning bike for so many different riders. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, whereas it's a different era, and
1: we're twenty years down the road nowadays. I mean, it's just know yeah, It's four races in, and at least Paul's shown glimpses or something. It's 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 more. By the looks of it, it's still the qualifying pace is the the big problem, and when that's rectified, it's gonna it's gonna become a lot more respectable. The problem is that by then, I suspect Mark will be fully fit and doing so much more on that bike, so it's maybe not also gonna look that great. But I I still think it's it's too early to judge. And I thing is, I don't think he's regretting it because he can look at the KTM results and see, nah, nothing going on there either. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's
0: that's another discussion a little bit further on in this podcast. Uh, the lure of Repsol Honda is still so great, you cannot deny a works HRC rider. To have those three red, white and blue letters on your chest is pretty cool in my book. The The problem with being a Repsol Honda
2: rider is if you're a Mark Marquez or a Casey Stoner or a Mick or a Valentino Rossi, a Repsol Honda ride will work for you. If you are an incredible talent and you rock up there, they will reward you for it and you will be incredible. The problem is every rider on the grid thinks they're a Marc Marquez or a Casey Stoner and some of them get a bit of a culture shock whenever they realise that they're not quite that talented, that they're not quite capable of riding around the problems the way that the true greats can. That is no criticism of people like Paul because he is a very, very, very talented writer, but Mark Marquez is something very special and that kind of blurs the you know, when you look at the 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 results, it kind of colours them a little bit. Now, there are a couple of kids at the minute who you look down the field and think Let's stick one of them in a Repsol Honda and see what happens. Pedro Acosta in a Repsol Honda. There's a talent that's capable of riding around the problems like Marquez. Raul Fernandez in Moto2. Yeah, I think he could have a fairly good crack at it too. But, you know, those riders are once or twice in a
0: generation. They're not, there's not 22 of them. No, no. And uh, I think the stock of Pedro Acosta is actually pro rata to the kilometers that he's raced this year he's the most valuable bloke in the paddock per kilometer he's raced
1: and i know this is a i know this is a motogp podcast but let's oh god let's dedicate a couple of sentences to pedro Acosta. i was tuning in while on the subway going home for the for the motogp shift basically and i i couldn't believe what i was watching that was honestly that was basically even more impressive than the win from the pit lane he was yeah. the bike was sideways he was high siding off of it it was doing insane incredible things and he still won. What a guy. The, what, what a show. In the
2: post-race press conference, he had, he said that uh, Aki Ayo, he, he had told Aki the week before, of course, that the strategy was to have fun for 25 minutes, then go get the trophy. He said that Aki had, <laughs> Aki had told him this week, look, you've got a good lead in the championship. You don't need to do anything crazy. This is not a circuit that you like. Just stay calm. And you know, come home safe in the points. And Pedro said he thought, Yeah, 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 that's fine, that's fine, that's what I'm gonna do. That's the strategy be safe, get some points. About two sentences later, he said, Sometimes if you just have to hit them, you have to hit them. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> he
0: is, he is just an incredible talent. I mean, you know. Four races in, there's been 100 points on the table. He's taken 95. Absurd. Yeah, Oops. He is more than double the points ahead of the bloke behind him in the championship. He's on 95. Nico Antonelli's on 44. The first Raider in history to be
2: on the podium in their first four races. And now the youngest Raider in history to win three in a row.
0: Wow. <clears throat> there's some serious history yeah. going on here. Uh, one of my phrases isn't it these are the good old days and this is happening right in front of our eyes with Mm -hmm. pedro acosta in moto three um you guys listening to this podcast you will have seen the moto three races this podcast is devoted to moto gp but i think we need the acosta four minute slot every 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 week going forward in 2021 (laughs) Just keep it upright, Pedro. Just keep it on the on the road and the championship's yours. It's yours to lose at the moment.
2: But he seems completely like he has that sixth sense that means you don't crash. He does things that if nine other riders did, they would fall off, but he's the tenth that just stays up when he does it somehow. And it's, it's just, you know, there has to be a point, it's not really something we talk about in racing, but there has to be a point where it is just, it's genetic, it's the way his brain's wired, it's just, You know, he's
0: just better, he's faster. I have a phrase, he's just got a bigger brain than the rest of us. He could just process the information coming through his backside and his fingertips quicker than the next bloke. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the Schumacher, it's the Muhammad Ali, it's the Usain Bolt, it just works for him perfectly. He was put on this planet to do just that. Um, exactly we may be seeing a season such as 1997 with 125 in which valentino rossi won the 125cc world championship but only one other rider won a race that year nobby ueda just two people won a race ding 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 ueda rossi rossi ueda rossi wins championship at Bruneau. um it might be one of those seasons and of course he did rather well as he went through his career of motorcycle racing meanwhile we were talking about repsol honda's we were talking about mark marquez and the allure of HRC and Repsol for people, but it doesn't necessarily work. But what is working is Aprilia. You know, they were 10th, 11th, they were 8th and 9th, and now they just turned their 21 season round, and here is Alessius Bargaro, another sixth position for him at Jerez, only five seconds off the win after 41 minutes of racing. Well, that's Mudder GP in 2021. We keep saying it, but that's life, but... They've got to get a podium before the end of the year.
1: The, the interesting thing about a Aprilia is that it's a new bike and it, it needs mileage, right? It needs a lot of time to get to its maximum. And yet, there seems to be a pattern where we show up to weekends and on Friday, it's the bike that works basically the best out of the box and then the rest of the grid sort of kind of catch up to it. Partly that can be explained to you know the extra testing opportunities they get, but it also might just be a pretty neat bike to have out of the out of the box, and that's that's pretty nice. You can work with that. Um, will they get a podium this year? I mean, Alech is convinced. I think balance of probability suggests they will, but the fact that they haven't been like super massively close just yet gives me a bit of pause. But
0: uh. maybe I should rephrase it. I'd like them to get a podium. <laughs> that would have, that would be, we all would, one hundred percent. I uh, I spoke to Massimo Rivella, the Aprilia
2: boss, a few weeks ago, and he his impression is that they're not necessarily close enough to be podium counted as podium contenders per se. He knows that. But he's convinced that if they spend every weekend sitting in 4th or 5th or 6th, eventually the guy in front's going to T-bone two others and there's going to be a space left for them to take the podium. And they'll happily settle this year for taking a podium like that. They, you know, they're just going to be there to take their opportunities. That's that's all they need, really, this year. It is still a building project. Um, but if they take the lessons learned from this year, if they are 6th every weekend, and even if they don't get the podium, or if they do, it's a lucky one you got to think if they put a a name a bigger name in the bike for next year because no offense in the world to aash but he's not a regular race winner he's he's not a, a he's one of the very few riders of Grand Prix who's never won a Grand Prix of any class so if they attract an Andrea De
0: vizioso to that bike for next year then his job done fingers crossed fingers crossed um they've sort of taken over the mantle that KTM had of the underdogs coming up. And I know they had a great year last year, KTM, they took three Grand Prix victories and I can't see Aprilia doing that, but KTM, they've got a lot of work to do at the moment. Uh, Leading KTM over the line in Jerez was Miguel Oliveira, his teammate, Brad Binder chucked it down the road. What did they say? Binder,
2: Binder had one of his usual Binder performances until he crashed twice. um, Where he was a bit, Meh, all weekend, got to Sunday, suddenly realized he was fast enough to do something and was looking really good until he crashed. Um, Olivera just kind of sounds lost. Like they're just going around in circles trying to solve problems with, with feeling from the bike and they just can't do it. Um, you know, arguably the best KTM performance of Sunday was uh, Iker Lacona. Because six seconds off Oliveira, 0.2 off Petrucci, you know, (laughs) uh, yeah, and that's not how it should be. Like, with no offence to Iker, we should never be counting him as the best KTM performer on any given Sunday.
1: It's been such a weird start to their season where... The the preseason looked bad and everybody chalked that off to Qatar, but the sole fact that they looked bad at Qatar suggested that whatever step happened in the off-season wasn't big enough to eliminate bogey tracks. And then right now it kind of looks like there was no step at all, that it's sort of what it was last year too. Um Still might have a few really good races here and there, but this is this is clearly not yet a bike to win a, a MotoGP title yet. But it was also... Every single man on that four-man roster right now looks expendable. Uh, Binder maybe the least expendable, but you can't have races where you crash twice. Oliveira looks a bit lost and is trailing Binder right now, and relative experience levels suggest he maybe should have a bit of an edge. Uh, Petrucci still not figuring it out, really, so far. And for recur, this race was the first good one of the season. I'm just literally making this up as I go here, thinking
2: out loud, really. But I, I never really considered that there would be much of an impact for them in losing Paul Espigaro as the team leader. But it is starting to look like maybe there has been. Because let's let's be honest, Paul left, obviously, at the end of last season. But whenever your star rider announces halfway through the year that he's going to Repsol Honda... You freeze them out of development. So that did, that wasn't a process that, that only started in November. And then all the rumors that Danny Pedrosa is coming to do a wildcard for them because they want to test the ultimate Pedrosa spec KTM that he's built for them in race conditions, makes me think they've realized that they've have they have a problem without Paul and they're now trying to put everything into solving it by, by essentially making Pedroza the new team leader, even though he's not a
1: racer. I, mean, I, I need to do a disclaimer, as you know, after what happened this weekend with Jack Miller, after he had a really bad start of the season, suddenly he's a race winner. Who knows? We rock up to Le Mans, and it's a KTM 1234. Uh, obviously, Brad Binder won a MotoGP race on his third ever start. He's quite clearly great. Obviously, we watched Miguel Oliveira absolutely spank the field at Portimao uh, last year, so he's capable of great things. But, you know, unlike you, Simon, I think I can go back to a, a time code of some previous podcast. I'm pretty sure I did have the idea that losing Paul will will be a, a big issue, even though he contributed to none of the three wins last year. Just because on those other weekends, uh, not even not just the development on those other weekends, Paul Espargaro was the <clears throat> the KTM guy. He was their benchmark, and he for most of that season he was their benchmark. And losing that. It, it will have stung and it, it stings right now, I suspect.
0: Binder rode brilliantly at Bruneau last year. He won the race. And Miguel Oliveira took that stunning last corner victory at Austria as well. And Oliveira, let's be blunt, rode on the, the pride and emotion to win at Portugal. But two of those circuits, KTM, have run a groove into. And let us remind ourselves that they have lost the ability to go testing in twenty twenty one with the uh, um, I've forgotten the phraseology, Simon. The, the 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 contracted race riders with the contracted race riders and the and the sheer number of days that they're allowed to do because they've yeah. got the, the concessions the, concessions. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, it's a Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, concessions. So that will be probably a factor as well there will be lots of other things going on behind closed doors that us journalists never see Simon myself we've worked in teams it's only when you work in a team that you then realize where some journalists are going wrong and I, I would call it upstairs that's what I called it in the garage oh them upstairs they think they know what's going on, but actually there's only 32 people downstairs who really do know what's going on, and you can't say that to anybody, and you have to defend, and you have to keep quiet. So, yeah. Um, Reigning world champion, Juan Mir, uh, he had a a good run. Only four seconds off the victory. Uh, Fifth position for him. Solid, safe, there. The focus was on other people, but he'll take the points, and he'll take 11 of them.
2: He rode... the sort of race that won him the championship last year. The problem is, I don't know if it's going to be good enough to win him the championship this year. Um, because it's like, uh, you know, whenever you look at the standings right now, it kind of looks like Peco Bagnaya has read the Miguel Oliveira's, or the, uh, the one Mir's idiot's guide to winning a championship and has
1: done a good job of implementing it so far. And Mir is two places behind him. So it's a huge get out of jail card, get out of jail free card for for Joanne because uh, he was he was going to face a, a big deficit to Fabio coming out of this race until Fabio's body stopped working. Um, I, it's it's a it's a good result to have. I would not it will not go down as a particularly encouraging weekend, but you know at least more encouraging than what happened to Alex Rins who tried to pass him on the outside and then had the slowest crash in MotoGP history. Uh, crash for the second weekend running. It's a guy who has the pace to be champion, but refuses to stay on the bike to actually do it.
2: Alex Wynn's got a little bit defensive the other day, uh, complaining about how none of his rivals ever consider him a title contender whenever they're discussing title contenders. And there is a point where you want to scream, that's because every time you get into a good position, you fall off. His race pace in Sunday's race if you subtract the lap he crashed on and substitute in the following lap, at which point he only had one win, a one wing, sorry, he was faster than Jack Miller in race time. He would have won the race. In theory, he had the pace to win the race. But the guy saw a clearing off at the front and made a stupid overtake on his teammate. And, and like Val said, stupid crash. He has to fix it. He has to fix the
0: consistency. Consistency is everything. And... I know I keep going back 10 or 15 years, but I always remember the bloke who only won two Grand Prix in his championship year, and his name was Nicky Hayden. The first four Grand Prix of that championship year in 2006, Nicky Hayden had a third, a second, a third, and a second. Banaya has only got one place better out of those four Grand Prix. He's had a third... Sorry, he's had a... Sorry. Anyway, Nicky Hayden had a better, a better run, and it was all about consistency. I've made a mistake in my notes, but forgive me. Um, but is but not a million miles away from what Nicky Hayden did, and it, it's better than Mir. It's better than Mir's idiot's guide to winning a World Championship Grand Prix season in 2020. Well,
2: let's not forget that Mir had a horrendous start to the season last year. You know, he gave his rivals a huge advantage and then spent the rest of the year clawing it back through consistency,
0: whereas Pecco has just started by being consistent. Mm. So, that was quite some Grand Prix. I'm always a fan of Jerez, of as I've said. Uh, every race, there's something going for it, and we now look forward to the French Grand Prix at Le Mans, it'll probably rain. It usually does. But when it's a nice day at Le Mans, it is a very nice day indeed. Uh, The Yamahas have gone well there. The Ducatis have gone well there, whether or not it's in the dry or in the wet. We saw that in the wet last year with danilo petrucci so we look forward to our next grand prix thank you for tuning in do like and subscribe so that you'll get your latest MotoGP gp news straight into your phone your car your ipad your speaker wherever it may be keep in touch with the-race.com with all our MotoGP gp news that val and simon can keep you up to speed with in the meantime thank you for downloading thank you for listening we'll speak to you all soon stay safe bye for now